The right habits put you in control of your health, relationships, mindset, and more. But most people lack the tools to stick with those habits long enough to see results. That is about to change. Welcome to the Unshakable Habits Podcast with your host, habit change specialist and speaker, Stephen Box. Join us each week as experts share their stories, experiences, and insights and give you the tools to build unshakable habits so you can live life on your terms. It's time to take your habits from unsustainable to unshakable. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unshakable Habits Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Box. And today I am joined by a man who believes success does not have an expiration date. That would be professional speaker and author of the upcoming book, The Second Mouse Gets the Cheese, my friend, Chad Betts. Hey, Stephen. Thanks a lot for having me today. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you being here, Chad. So we're going to go through your story today and just to kind of help people get a little context here around that quote from you at the beginning, that success doesn't have an expiration date. You are really big on helping people to understand that it's never too late in life to get started. And that's really kind of the core idea behind your second book here. And we're going to dive through your story about how you actually got a little bit of a late start in life and why you're so passionate about this topic today. Yeah, when I was younger, I just didn't have a clear vision. So that's you know, one thing I love about your show, you know, the idea of having that vision. I was working really hard. I thought that I had my goals all set and that I was really getting to where I wanted to go. But as I kept going, it felt like I was just on this hamster wheel. I kept running and running and running. I got involved with uh, a lot of volunteer organizations, which are, which are great. I mean, we really need to help people. But we can find ourselves getting attracted to the success of the volunteerism uh, and not really focus on where we want to go. So we can end up you know, wasting time uh, and not achieving our goals. Uh, and that's where I ended up. You know, I kept you know, working hard. And then one day I'm just sitting, I'm looking around. It's like, I am not where I want to be. So I really had to focus on what do I need to do to get to where I want to go? Uh, I was lucky to find a coach and mentor, Don Wetmore, uh, who was able to really get me on track on how to manage my time and how to really allocate different pieces of my life and, and make sure that I'm touching on them. Everything from financial, professional, intellectual, spiritual, social, and getting the whole gamut uh, because you can't just focus on one thing. You, know, that, you can't just focus on that one goal. You do have to have that broad vision of where you want to be. Uh, and it wasn't until later that I really learned that lesson. So that's, that's where I, I started coming up with seeing that other people are having that same issue, that they get kind of stuck and they think they're working towards something, but really they're just running around in a circle. So that's, that's where I really started off, Stephen. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you uh, sharing that, Chad. One, one thing I do want to kind of backtrack on just a little bit here and 
make sure our audience gets in case someone is tuning in to the very first time. We like to look at these stories through what we call the unshakable framework. And it's a three-part framework. It starts, as you mentioned, with a vision. Visions are different than goals. And I know you're going to talk a little bit about goal setting today Mm -hmm. as well. And so I don't want to give people the idea that goals are just altogether bad. But when we're talking about this framework, we want to actually look at your vision. Because, see, goals, they're all about outcomes. And we don't always necessarily have control over the outcome. But visions are about behaviors. They're about the Mm -hmm. person that we want to be, what we want our life to look like. And as you mentioned, it's not just in one area. It's your entire life. It's all those different buckets that make up our lives that are part of that vision. And Mm -hmm. that you do have control over because that's about your behavior. That's about the person you want to be. Now, of course, in order to become that person, we have to go to the second part of the framework, which is we either have to develop new skills or we have to learn to utilize the ones we already have. And then, of course, if you're going to build skills or learn to better utilize ones you already have, that's going to require some kind of action. And that's where this idea of daily actions or repeatable actions comes into play because that's what's going to help you to develop those skills. Mm -hmm. So as we really dive into Chad's story today, really listen hard for those elements. And we'll try to point them out as we're going through, but really listen hard for where did that vision come from? What skills did Chad have to develop along the way? And then what were the actions he took to develop those skills? And one thing to note is, This is not a one-time process. So you may see this process play out over and over through Chad's story. So it's not just a one-off thing. Yeah, and and the idea of goals, I think of it as kind of like milestones along the way. So you have your full vision. And I really never understood the concept of milestones until I was on a hike. Now, my family and I would go on state park hikes. Now, state park hikes typically is a loop. You start around, you go to loop, and you're back at the parking lot. Yay, it's all done. When you do a national park, you have trails, and you need to make sure that you know where you're going. Well, we went, and we got lost. And I'll tell you, when you have two little kids, and you're lost in a national park, it's scary. It wasn't until I saw a real-life milestone. So it's a stone, and it had a little sign on it saying you go that way for four miles, and you're back. And I'll tell you the relief in my heart when I saw that milestone. I was like, oh, thank God. I know where I'm going. That's where your goals come in. So you have this vision of where you want to go. And your goal is kind of that post in the in the path. Now, the reason why the vision is important and the goal could be variable, let's say I took a different trail by accident. I'm still lost in the woods. I found that milestone and it pointed me in the right direction. So goals are written on paper, not carved in stone. So you have this overarching idea of where you want to go. And you set these little milestones along the way. So you know that you've gotten somewhere and you get a little satisfaction, especially if you have this huge goal that's going to take you years to accomplish. It can be discouraging. You can feel lost. And those little milestones along the way can help keep you on track. Yeah, I, I love that analogy because it it works well and not just from the standpoint of it tells you a direction, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is something a lot of people get caught up on. They set a big, huge goal. They're, 
the first mistake they'll make is they don't focus on the small repeatable stuff, right? Which mm-hmm. is makes it easier to stick with. And, and that's a big part of what we're talking about. But it's also about having something that says, okay, not necessarily a time frame of when you should get there, but this is a sign that you're at least on the right path. You're going mm-hmm. the right direction. And sometimes the the sign doesn't say you're on the right path. Sometimes right. the sign says you're on the wrong path. Right. But that information is also helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So so take us back. You, you mentioned, you know, you were kind of in this situation. You're doing the volunteer organizations and you're caught up in that. And then you kind of started to realize, okay, maybe this isn't the right p- way. So what was your milestone with the volunteer organizations that helped you say, whoa, I'm on the wrong path? The thing that I found is that we have so many influencers in our life. You know, even you know, 30 years later, our parents can be, have a huge influence on our life. Uh, there's a story that I was talking to a, a job coach, and this really struck me. Uh, it was someone who he was talking to who's very successful, owned a huge accounting practice, and he was miserable. The reason he was miserable is because he hated accounting. Now, why did he go into accounting? Because 30 years before, his parents said, if you get a degree in accounting, you will always have a job. And that was true, but it wasn't his goal and he didn't like it. So that really showed me that, you know, I need to start reflecting on myself. Who is influencing me? Am I following my goals? So what I did was I did what I call the 20-goal exercise. I wrote down 20 goals that I wanted to do from, let's call them practical goals, things that we can accomplish right now, to crazy goals. One of my crazy goals was to write a book. And now that's not too crazy because I'm working on my second book. What I found then is after taking those 20 goals and putting them in order, I found patterns. Those patterns told me that I want to help other people. I want to coach, I want to write, and I want to speak. So I've been focusing on those things. Now I kept my day job because you know you hear all these things, go and follow your passions. Uh, when you follow your heart and leave your brain behind, uh, that's when you can go broke. You know, so that's when you have to start thinking about you know, what are the consequences. You know, the consequences for me would I would not be able to pay my bills. So I really needed to allocate my time uh, to learn what I needed to learn, to do what I needed to do, to reach the milestones that I wanted to reach. So I really focused on myself, identified those goals, set priorities, and made sure to make the time to do that. The other thing that I did was when you are working a lot, so you have a daytime job that's very challenging, you're writing a book and you're speaking, that takes a big portion of time. So what do you need? You need energy. Now, Stephen, as you know, the last time we spoke, I was about 30 pounds heavier. And I'll tell you, when you're carrying an extra 30 pounds, that energy does not come. (laughs) So I made a point to start eating healthier to start losing weight, to focus on my health so that I could have the energy now to work on my goals, but also 10 years from now. Because I'm in my 50s now, 
And if I was 60 pounds overweight in my 60s, that would make it extremely hard for me to achieve my goals. So that's why I really focused on my health as well as building the skills I needed and making the time to do what I needed to do to achieve my goals. So I want to rewind here just a little bit. And first of all, congratulations on taking the steps to lose the 30 pounds. Thank you. And and I've been following your, your journey a little bit on social media. So I know that this is not like a crash diet, some, you know, crazy thing you're doing just to lose weight. You're actually right. putting in the work every day. You're making a little bit better choices. You're exercising. So for all the people who are out there going, oh my gosh, Chad, how did you lose 30 pounds? The answer is by doing the boring stuff everybody hates mm-hmm. doing, right? So um, we'll, we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way for people now. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then what else? Me, I want to say something else about that too. Know what I knew about healthy weight loss? Nothing. So what did I do? I talked to experts. I went to a trainer. I went to a dietitian. I found out what I needed to do for macro and micronutrients. And that's a big deal. You know, it's because uh, you, when you're doing drastic weight loss, you're going to lose muscle, but you want to minimize that because your muscle is what really burns calories. So, you know, lifting weights, eating a lot more protein. I'll tell you, eating 30 grams of protein a day is hard, but, you know, I did it and I continue to do it. And, and Stephen, like you said, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. And I'm not, I, my daughter's birthday party was last weekend. And you know, you know, I had cake and it's okay. You okay. know, it's, <laughs> you live your life, but you make different choices. I worked out that morning. I made sure to have more protein and less carbs so that when I was at the party, I was able to have an overdose of carbs. So yeah. you just, you, you plan and you, you make, you make adjustments. And once you build the habit, uh, it's not that hard. Uh, it's funny story. I, it came up the other day when I was younger, I had a Mazda 323. It was a 92 323. And if you don't know what that is, it, it looked like a small AMC pacer. And we called it the clown car because back then I was fat too. And we had these four really big guys come out of this tiny hatchback. And it was the clown car because it looked like all these people coming out of the car. Uh, I was driving that car in the rain and I wasn't paying attention. And there was this underpass where floods. And by the time I saw where I was, it was too late to do anything. So I stepped on the gas and I hit the water kind of floated sideways, started to stall out, and then I hit the other side and I was able to go. Uh, now, there's two lessons there. First lesson, obviously, don't drive like an idiot. But beside that, the momentum carried me through the water. And with the diet, with writing the book, the habit creates some momentum that carries you through the rough spots. You know, kid, that the, the habit of writing every day sitting in front of the computer for at least 15 minutes, whether something came or not, carried me through the rough spots. You know, having the habit of diet exercise when, you know, I'm sorry, no one's motivated at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym. It's dark out, it's raining, it's awful, but the habit carries you through. You build that momentum so that when you do lose motivation, you keep going. And that's, that's very, very important. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a big proponent of that. My, you know, phrase for unshakable habits is 
but I help people go from unsustainable to unshakable without relying on willpower. Mm -hmm. And that's because willpower is by and large a myth. If you are counting largely on willpower to get you through, it is going to fail you sooner rather than later. You, you really have to depend on those habits that you're building up. But habits don't just happen overnight. They mm -hmm. take practice. You have right. to actually build the skills up. Um, even going back to your example here of the car, you know, a lot of times we would look at it and go, well, what got me through was punching the gas and that gave me the momentum I'm needed. But guess what? If you hadn't had your gas tank full enough to be able to get the power out of the car to get that momentum, it wouldn't have mattered. If you didn't have all these things, if, if maybe all four of you had been in the car, maybe there would have been too much weight to get through, right? That's right. So, that's right. <laughs> funk. That's right. So, <laughs> so it's, it's important that we understand that, yes, there might be that moment that we look at and go, that's what got me over the hump. But there's a lot of things to go into that moment. And yeah, so I right. think I think that's really a huge part of it. Uh, you know, like you mentioned the cake. I always jokingly tell clients, look, I have a very simple uh, quote that you may be familiar with. If you uh, if you've been around the weight loss activity at all, which is like you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Well, I have a revised version of that, which is you can either have your cake or you can have your cake too. Mm -hmm. Meaning either you can eat cake and then not have the other things you want in your life, or you can actually live a healthy life and then you can eat cake and you can have both. So right. a lot of people think they're mutually exclusive, but the thing is, if you're putting in the other work, the cake doesn't really matter. It's unless you're eating it like every single day, that's probably not. Possible. Right. Well, and when you're doing that, you'll find most, at least for me, I don't want to speak for everyone, but it's either boredom, or emotional, you know, yeah. you're stressed out or you're bored. I mean, when I was at uh, my previous job, they had two huge snack drawers, one mm -hmm. salt, one sugar. Uh, and it was on my way to my desk. So I'd end yeah. up having, you know, two packs of Oreos a day. You know, yeah. why? Not because I needed the sweets. It's just, it was the well, one, I built the wrong habit, uh, but it was just because I was bored and stressed. And that sugar just kind of gave me, you know, the, the push, but now I use my martial arts for stress relief. I do yep. other things for stress relief. I write for stress relief and that, you know, keeps me busy, which alleviates the boredom. And I find I don't need it. And I, it's funny. I had an Oreo cookie, you know, a few weeks ago. It just wasn't the same. It doesn't even taste yep. good. So, yep. you know, instead of having just, you know, anything that's in front of you, uh, when I do it now, it's like the cake I had was, Good cake. I want to, if I'm going to splurge, I'm going to yeah. get high quality stuff. I'm not going to go get the uh, the boxed pound cake. You know, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I I can relate, man. I you know as I mentioned in the intro video, I lost 80 pounds. And and for those that may not be familiar with my background, I have a background in fitness coaching, nutrition coaching, behavioral transformation, all that good stuff. And so. One of the things that I realized after losing my weight and changing a lot of my eating habits was like you, I went back to eat things I used to eat. And I'm like, this is nasty. This doesn't <laughs> even taste good anymore. Uh, so it's it's really an interesting thing when you go back and you look at how just changing stuff makes other changes. Um, so, for example, 
you know, we're talking about your story and how you're doing all this volunteer work and you have this conversation with someone and they realize they're chasing someone else's goals. And it made you start to reflect like, am I chasing my own goals? Am I chasing Mm -hmm. someone else's goals here? And as you started making those changes in your life, some of the older things that you did, I'm assuming became less appealing, just like those foods that you used to eat are now less appealing to you now that your taste buds have changed by simply starting to make changes in your life you start to realize that things that used to be appealing to you, the things that used to be relaxing to you or the things that used to relieve your stress are no longer appealing to you. No, that's right. It's, uh, you know, you know, watching a lot of television you know, that it's just, it's, I'm bored by it now. So I do more reading. You know, it's, it's true. And it just, I'm, I'm very active. You know, it's, I want to get outside more. You know, that's, I, I find that, you know, I love hiking. You know, things like that, that just getting away from things, putting down the phone, getting away from the Internet, you know, unplugging, not watching as much TV, you know, and you're right. It's just you change uh, and you get you, know, you get better. I mean, and it's the, the weight loss is the easy things. We all of us have had some kind of fitness thing at some time or other. But, you know, the exercises that I used to do are now kind of my warm up. You know, I've getting beyond, you know, the, when I'm, I'm writing now, you know, my writing, it comes a lot faster now and it's a lot smoother and it takes less editing. You know, it just, as you continue to do it, as you get more practiced, you become a different person. Uh, you're become more effective. So towards achieving your vision of things. So I still do volunteer work. That's like I said before, it's very important uh, by doing such a way that I see I have more impact on people. And I find that, you know, before I was doing a lot for myself that, you know, make myself feel good. And you know, it was me focused. Now that I've, I've really helped develop my empathy, uh, really after re- reading Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, I, I see that you have to, you have to understand from your, 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 for lack of better words, your audience's point of view. So your constituency's point of view. So if you're helping someone, uh, you want to make sure that you're really helping. Uh, an interesting thing, I was in a, a, a diversity meeting, and one of the things that came up uh, was the idea of cultural tourism, uh, which it's I never even thought of it, but I can see how it could be very offensive, where you get you know wealthier people going to you know less. Uh, uh, or more distressed areas, coming in for the day, helping and leaving. So it's almost as if you're coming visit. Oh, look at the poor people and going home. You know, you really without focusing on what the people's needs are. Uh, and it's you know after you build that empathy and understand what the needs are, you can get beyond that kind of cultural tourism where you kind of do a flyby, and you can be more effective and help people in such a way where you're touching them. Uh, and not just making yourself feel better by doing a flyby. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a, a really a great point. And I think it's one of those things where we have to sometimes understand the difference between our growth. And then if you decide to become someone who helps other people, which, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both do, we help other people with stuff. Um, there's a, a difference there. And, mm-hmm. 
you're developing yourself a lot of times while you're helping other people. And I know one thing that kind of gets brought up a lot of times is this idea of imposter syndrome. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure this is something you're very familiar with working with people who are getting a late start, because that is probably a pretty common belief of people getting that late start in life is I've waited too long. You know, people are going to realize that I'm not worthy of this, that I don't have the, you know, expertise in this or whatever. And so a lot of times we're building ourselves at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, what was that experience like for you? Did you go through that? Did you have that imposter syndrome when you first started on this journey of, of helping other people out and you're kind of transitioning from just having your nine to five and all of a sudden you're writing this book and you're speaking and like, what, what was that process like for you? Take us inside of Chad's head, which I admit might be a scary place to be. <laughs> Never look into the mind of Hannibal Lecter. No, I was, it, it's, I still get it. I, you know, imposter syndrome, uh, can stay with you. It's just something you need to push through. Uh, you know, you just you have to value yourself. And it's and if it, you're afraid of failure, it's okay to fail. You know, that's the thing. It's just it's the forward momentum. You know, one of uh, uh, Stevens and my uh, speaking coaches, they have this thing where you could fall on your face, but you're falling forward. So even when you make mistakes, you're making progress. And if you come with that mentality, that helps a lot with the imposter syndrome. Uh, I had a contest on a book cover for The Second Mouse Gets the Cheese. And I had a bunch of designers who designed things, the, 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 the covers. I chose five. And I put them out for my social media people to comment on. And even with that, I felt, well, geez, I choose the right ones, or this is the right things. What are the people going to say? We all go through that. It's okay. It just means you care. Push through, take a deep breath, and take the risk. Yeah, I forget, I, I forget who said this, but it's it's leap and the net will appear. It's sometimes important to make that leap of faith. Have faith in yourself and move forward. And as Stephen, as you mentioned earlier, the idea of you know the of coaching, and that's you know as you're helping others, you're helping yourself. Many of you out there watching this aren't going to be coaching people, but life is still a team sport. Being able to work with people to achieve goals together, to have a shared vision, will help you be more successful. So gathering people around you who are like minded with your vision will help you. And you could help them. And by doing that, you can kind of scale your efforts. Having the for me, you know, having people who I know and trust to have the first read of my book, you know, to edit it and to tell me feedback. With my first book, Late Bloomer, I had someone who was the best feedback ever. She uh, owns a marketing company, very successful businesswoman. Uh, and she told me that my book lacked empathy, and I was very preachy. Now, at first, uh, I was taken aback a little bit. Whenever you work on something for a year, it's got to be perfect, right? But it's not. And when you get you, it's <laughs> it's fine. I really wanted feedback when I asked for it. You know, not so much when I got it, but I saw that I needed it, uh, and it was because of Carolyn's feedback that and she was the one actually recommended I read Brene Brown's uh, Daring Greatly. And that has such an impact on me that I can now see 
through other people. I understand how other people are feeling. I make the effort to understand how they're feeling. And through that, they make an effort to understand me. Now, does everybody try to understand me? No. And not everyone's going to try to understand you. But you can find that group of people. Let's say, you know, let's go to Napoleon Hill and his, that was, that was a, what, the 1930s, I think. But he came up with the mastermind group, that group of people you got around you who really help you achieve your goals while you're helping them achieve their goals because you have that shared vision. And it was it uh, was it Jim Rohn who uh, talked about you are like the five people closest to you, Stephen. You may remember uh, but that's true too. That the people you surround yourself with uh, will really help you grow. Uh, it's what is it? You can't uh, you can't fly with the eagles when you're surrounded by turkeys. So that's really important to have that strong team. And we discussed that in the second mouse as well. Yeah, I think I think that was uh, Jim Rome. And I actually always like to add to that one and tell people not only are you the, you know, some of the five people who you are around the most, you are in someone's five. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not a coach, even if your life mission isn't to go out and help people, you have influence on someone's life. You are part of someone's five. And if you're not a part of someone's five, that might be a whole nother reason to look in the mirror, right? <laughs> like, man, nobody even wants me in their five. Right? <laughs> what am I what am I doing wrong here? I need it. Well, the thing is, you may not even know that you're in someone's five. You know, yeah. reflecting back on the volunteer work, uh, I became uh, the president of a state organization uh, in uh, the nonprofit world. Uh, and 20 years later, Someone came up to me and said, you know, you had such an impact on my life. And it nearly brought a tear to my eye because I really didn't know. You know, I tried my best. I wanted to support people the best I could. But you just don't know the impact you have on people. So even if you don't think you're in someone's five, my bet is you are. And you're having an impact on someone right now. And you just don't know it. So, you know, keep supporting people and build that team uh, because that team will help you as you're helping them. Yeah. And and the really great thing about that is whether you realize that you're in someone's five or not, because I was joking about not being in someone's five. I guarantee you everyone is in someone's five. You, You might not realize it, but you are. And here's the thing. You get to choose every single day what influence it is that you want to have. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you have to be this great teacher. You don't have to be like the inspirational leader in everyone's life. You don't have to be the person who always goes and picks everybody up or whatever, right? It's your vision. It's what you want to bring to the table. How do you want to influence other people? And then look at your interactions with people. Is that what you're doing? Are you actually bringing that to the table? Right. You know, that that's really kind of where that comes down to. So, Chad, I want, I want to jump back to your story here a little bit, though, because, sure. you know, I want people to kind of start to get this idea of, okay, I'm middle-aged, whatever that means to someone, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a pretty big range. But let's just say someone is a little bit further on in life. They feel like it's a little bit too late for them. 
I want to kind of dive into your personal experience and start to give them an idea of what this process actually looked like. So, so far you've told us you were doing the volunteer work. You, you kind of had some of these conversations. You, you talked with the guy who realized that he wasn't living out his goals, right? You had other conversations like after you wrote the book about it, not having enough empathy in it. Mm-hmm. And this is actually reminds me of, a previous guest that I had on the show, uh, Dr. Ian Brooks, he wrote a book and the very first copy of it, he went to go do the, an audiobook for it. And as he's sitting there doing the audiobook, he realized that it, basically none of his personality ended up in the book. Mm-hmm. All his clinical side <laughs> ended up in the book. And that's probably very similar to what you have with the, with, you know, being very preachy and it didn't come across as your caring, your empathy of other people, your desire to help people didn't come through. And so I know just from the conversation with him, there was skills you had to develop to make sure that that didn't happen with future books or that didn't happen when you were doing your speaking. So kind of take us back to those beginning days, what was that vision that you started to cast? So like we're now at the point where you've realized that maybe some changes needed to happen in life. What was your vision that started to form in front of you at that point? Yeah, I really felt like a car stuck on the side of the road. Have you ever had a dead battery or a flat tire, or maybe you slid off the road into a ditch? It's pouring rain. It's nighttime, and you can do a couple things. One, you can get out and get that little jack out of the back of your car and start changing that tire, or you can start pushing your car out of the ditch. But what you'll find is without other people that it's very difficult, if not impossible. Now, if you slid your car all the way off the road, you're going to have a lot of trouble getting that car out without a bunch of people pushing it or getting a tow truck to pull you out. The lesson I learned was to really find people who could help you along the way. Now, this comes in a couple ways. I was very lucky to have found some fantastic mentors, you know, people who I could really relate to and had the information and skills I need to help guide me along. So when finding a mentor, it's real important to have somebody to build that rapport with because it doesn't matter if they have the skills. If you don't get along with them, it's not going to be an effective relationship. Having a mentor is really about the relationship. So I built relationships with people who really gave me guidance on how to get to where I wanted to go. Because like that car in a ditch, in the pouring rain, if you're just staying there looking at your car, things could be impossible. You look at it, it's like, I can never get out of here. And it's not until that tow truck comes by that you really feel that sense of relief. And you can see that you're moving forward. So I had mentors along the way. I also had coaches. Now, I kind of differentiate between mentors and coaches uh, a little differently than others. I say that we pay for coaching, and mentors is really a relationship. So if you want instant you know, uh, 
access to things, getting that coach and skill specific coaches. So public speaking coaches, writing coaches, publishing coaches, you know, fitness coaches, all these people have expertise. I really use that to learn and build my skills. I don't say the last thing is, you know, I talked about getting rid of the TV before and getting more into reading. Reading, even if it's fiction, can really set you apart. It could, you could see that things are not impossible. Now, if you ever walk through deep snow, you know how it can be really hard. I mean, so if you've walked through like two feet of snow, you got to lift your foot all the way up and put it all the way down. Lift it all the way up and put it all the way down. And you can see like it's so far of a distance, even to get a couple hundred feet. But if someone's walked that path already, it makes it so much easier. So whether you're reading a book about someone who's done something before, you're talking to someone who's mentoring you, who's done it before, or you talk to a coach who can show you how it's been done before. It takes that sense of impossibility out of it. And that's really how I did it. I saw that it was possible. It's possible to write a book. It's possible to find a job where you're not working for a micromanager. It's possible to have a social life as well as working and writing and doing everything else. It's possible to add fitness on top of that. And the more you do it, the better habits you build, the farther you can go. And you actually end up trudging through that snow for other people. And that gives you motivation because you can see the impact you're having, not only on yourself, but those around you. And it takes time. You're reflecting back on the weight loss. You know, it takes, I forget the certain amount of time before you start seeing changes in yourself. And then about two or three that times that long for other people to see the change. And when when other people start seeing the change, that's when you really start getting even more motivated. You don't have to start off motivated. And as you build that habit, you don't have to always be motivated because it's impossible to always be motivated. But you get that third party push in the back. You have that mentor or that coach pulling you forward. You get the people you're helping pushing you forward. And you see the path in your vision. And that's, that's how I did it. You know, talking about, you know, like I mentioned Don Wetmore before, he's been my coach forever. Uh, Fred Afrigola has been a fantastic mentor for me. And, you know, building those relationships, getting the skills I needed to, you know, write books, to go and do interviews like this. This is not easy. It takes skills to be able to make sure I'm looking in the camera. It's easier to look down like this, but then I'm looking and people are saying, what are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at my picture on my computer screen. You know, the idea of just looking here, that's a skill. And you can build those skills too. And you can achieve the goals you want. And even if you didn't get it in the beginning, it's okay. You know, and unfortunately, social media and regular media push these ideas on us. The 25 under 25, the 40 under 40. Uh, Well, I can't be the 40 under 40 because I'm 52 years old. Does that mean I can't succeed? No, I wrote my book when I was 50. So I could be part of the 50 over 50, I guess. But you can do that too. Identify what your goal is, what your vision is. 
set those milestones to get there. That's you know that's how I did it. You know, I, I said, okay, if I'm going to write a book, I need to, to write. So I set a schedule. I need to have a first draft. So that was my first milestone, my first goal. I got that first draft. From there, I needed to have to be a quality draft. Now, no matter what, if you're writing a book, your first draft's gonna stink. It's okay. I edited it seven times before I gave it to other people. And it was the people I trusted. Don't just give it out to people because it's you're going to feel hurt when people say your book isn't as good as you think it is. Uh, it's just natural. When you've been working on something for a year, you want positive feedback. But you need constructive negative feedback to get to the next step. So being open to that negative feedback, be open to being mentored, open to being coached. Those are all things I needed to do to loosen up, to make sure that I was receptive of the feedback I was getting, that I was asking the right questions, finding the right coaches, finding the right mentors, reading the right books, building my team. I know that's, that's, that's what I did. Uh, Stephen, you know, it's how do you, how, do, how I got there? I, I, I went to find the people who had the skills I needed and then I practiced and I failed and I practiced again and I did okay. And I practiced again and I did better. And you keep that process going and the process becomes a habit. The habit becomes a path. The path becomes you know, something that where you feel pushed from behind and pulled forward and you start seeing results. Yeah, you, you hit on a couple of really big things there and, and kind of sharing your story and, and the way you went through that. So your vision really was to start with this book mm-hmm. and eventually your vision started to encompass other areas of your life. And we'll just focus right now just on the book part. Mm -hmm. And so I think one mistake a lot of people make is they get so caught up in this idea that I need to develop all the skills. I need to know everything before I start. Right. And as you said, look, reality is your first version of the book is going to be horrible. Mm -hmm. There's even skills you're going to have to develop even before you can write the first version. Right. I mean, you have to at least have some basic English skills. If you're going to write a book in English, you're going to have to know some basic grammar. There's little things that you need to understand to even start to sit down and write a book. Otherwise, the editing process is going to be a nightmare. Does that mean that you have to have perfect grammar knowledge? No. Does it mean that you have to be able to perfectly convey all of your knowledge and information? No. Those are skills that you can develop along the way. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be an opportunity through a book writing process, which takes a while to get better at it. Almost every person that I've ever interviewed or talked to who has written multiple books, they've said the exact same thing. Their first book took years to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their second book took months, right? It's just like, because you've learned now you have those skills. They're already in place. 
you don't have to go back and redevelop those skills. They're now with you for a lifetime and you can learn and then you can apply them. And then I'm sure there are things that you learn from writing a book. They helped you when it came to getting your health in order. You know, mm-hmm. for example, okay, I now know to write a book, I'm going to just start writing. I'm not going to worry about if it's good. I'm not going to worry about like what my book cover is going to look like or what the title is going to be just yet. I'm just going to start writing a book. I'm going to put the information in place, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe the first draft didn't come out great. Well, we, we know the first draft didn't come out great, right? Maybe the second draft didn't come out great or the third draft or the fourth or whatever. And so you keep going through all these revisions and then you start to realize, oh, you know what? This is a skill that I'm building up. I'm becoming resilient. I'm getting better at accepting feedback that's not positive. I'm learning these writing skills along the way. And now I'm going back and I'm taking things that I wrote three months ago and I'm making some tweaks to them based on new information that I've learned. And some people might feel like that's a waste of time. Like, oh, you're having to go back and rewrite stuff. But it's not because you couldn't get the new information until you started this process. That's kind of the key. And like you said, when it comes to the exercise, now you're in the situation where things that used to be your warm up or used to be your workout are now your warm up. And had you never started with that as your workout, you would never have gotten physically to the point that that could become a warm up. Right. It would still be a workout for you. Right. And so sometimes we, I think, underestimate the fact that we need to go through the hard stuff, the stuff that we suck at, to get to the point where that becomes the easy stuff. It's got to be hard in the beginning. Otherwise, it never becomes easy. If we just avoid the hard stuff, things stay hard. Yeah, and you don't need to have all the skills when you start. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, and a lot of times some of the future skills can be a distraction. So when you're first writing a book, write, write the first draft. I'm coaching someone on uh, writing and they're kind of stuck because they can't get over the idea of an outline and they're trying to write, but they go off in this direction and that direction. They never build that framework. So they're, they're having trouble building it. Uh, I have other people who are talking about the cover of their book. It doesn't matter. You don't have a manuscript. You can have a cover, you can have a marketing plan, you can have everything, but you don't have a book. (laughs) So there's, you know, there's certain steps you need to take. And, you know, using your fitness analogy, if I were to do some of the exercises I'm doing now, back then, I would have hurt myself, got discouraged and never would do it again. So you have to really build yourself up. But also remember that there's different skills in the process. In the beginning, the skills are writing. And to your point, it doesn't have to be great. You know, dare to be do it poorly until you could do it well. Uh, and, you know, my grammar was corrected by Grammarly. That's a, a, a program online that I pay for. Uh, and it was... I. <laughs> Before I got Grammarly, uh, I had written the manuscript of the book. I had, you know, I I went through it and edited it. I had other people go through and edited it. And I said, no, what? Let me buy this program. There were 1,258 errors. (laughs) 1,200. (laughs) So it's, and that was after like four or five people looked at it. 
you know, so there's always, you know, you don't have to be perfect. And that, as that shows. But also don't get distracted. Don't start talking about your marketing plan before you have your book. Focus on what you're doing today. Uh, to get a book, yeah, you have a vision of getting a book. Uh, in order to get a book, you have to have a few milestones. One, you need to know what you're writing about. You have to have a message. From that message, you have to have a framework. How are you going to go from the beginning to the end in such a way that someone can understand it, is entertained by it, and will absorb that message? Yep. You then have to take that framework and fill it in uh, with either with stories, uh, with you know proof of concept, with wh- however you're going to write it. You have to fill in those bones to put meat around your skeleton. Yep. From there, like I said, it's kind of like uh, kind of like me at the beginning of my fitness journey. You have this kind of flabby skeleton covered fleshy thing that you need to really sculpt into a fit form. So. This time around, I actually hired a, a, an editor to help me out with it. Uh, but that's something to do, too. You can't edit your own work. So that's where you build your team and have other people help you. you know, so you get someone with the skills to help you. You can outsource these things. You can scale your work uh, using Fiverr, using Upwork. You could do all these things so you can focus on what you're good at and let other people do the other things, uh, just even little things. My shirt, if I were to have to iron this shirt, it would be a half hour out of my life I would never get back. I'll gladly pay the $2 to have someone wash and iron it for me so I could spend that half hour talking to you, Stephen. You know, that's, you know, it's you know, also delegating things uh, in your goals so you could scale your work and get to a point faster. Although I went, I went off topic a little bit, but you know, building those skills as you go. You don't need to know how to market while you're writing. That's something you can learn. And if you goof, it's okay too. I found out that you're supposed to start marketing your book six, mo- uh, six months before you release it. Know when I found out? About three weeks after I released it. <laughs> you know, did, you know, and I'll tell you, you talk about the imposter syndrome. Oh, when I found that out, I was like, oh my God, that's ruined all this stuff. But guess what? My book sold. Could I have sold more books if I did it the other way? Probably. Uh, does it matter? No. I have a published book out there. Just because I goofed doesn't take away from the fact that I have a published book. And it's a real book. Look, see? It's got a cover and everything. And it's out there. You can get on Amazon. <laughs> and the second one's coming out. It's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. It doesn't diminish your accomplishments. Yeah. And, and I love that message that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to it's be probably a requirement to make mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. And, and, and here's something that I think people sometimes maybe get, you know, that they miss. And you pointed this out, this idea of working with a coach or working with a mentor mm-hmm. is so important because the reality is, Sometimes when we get the vision, we think we have the skills, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what skills we need to develop. So like you mentioned with the weight loss, how you actually asked, you know, different people with different ex- expertise, what some of the skills you need to develop were. Great example. You mentioned uh, a mutual friend of ours, and 
coach slash mentor, uh, Darren LaCroix, mm-hmm. who was a previous guest on the show, world champion of public speaking. You know, he shares a story about how he was working with a coach who had been to the semifinals of the world championship before he had this speech that he felt really good about. And his coach goes to him and says, Hey, I've taken you as far as I can. I've never been to the world championship. I want to introduce you to someone who's actually won the world championship so they can take you to the next level. So Darren goes and gives Mark Brown his speech and he's beaming ear to ear. And he says, I remember thinking to myself how Mark's going to be so impressed by my speech. This is going to be the greatest speech he's ever read in his life. And Mark goes, oh, Darren, we've got some work to do. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what having mentors and coaches and people who can be honest with you in your life does for you. It helps you to see your blind spots. It helps you to get better at the things that you think you're good at, but you still have room to develop. Mm -hmm. Because if we lift our own devices, a lot of times we will stop short of reaching our potential because we don't know what we don't know. And that's the thing I love so much about your story is that you did know some of this stuff. You had an idea where you wanted to go, but you didn't just rely on you. You went out and you hired coaches, you hired experts. And did you hire all the right people at the right time? Obviously not. Otherwise, you would have started marketing that first book sooner, right? That's right. That's right. But you, you learned that lesson, and now your second book, guess what? You're going to market it a lot better than you did the first one because now you know. And you're like, hey, you know what? I had six different people edit my book the first time, and they all clearly missed things because you grammarly found 1,200 plus <laughs> things that you needed to work on. So what did you do this time? You went out and hired an editor. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, you're in a better position financially today than you were when you wrote your first book. So you probably can afford an editor. So that's not to say that people need to go out and hire an editor for their first book. If you don't have the money to do that, don't do it. Right. It's okay to put out an imperfect book. People still bought Chad's book, even with, you know, whatever errors are left in it. Because I'm going to assume you didn't go correct all 1,258 or whatever it was, right? So there, there's probably still some things in there that if you were to go back and look at now, you would touch up on. There's probably some things philosophy-wise that you've learned and that you would go back and, and revisit and change now. Right. And guess what? If you wanted to go and do a revised version of your first book, you can do that. That's right. And I probably will next year. You yeah. know, that's, you know, that's right. Yeah. You know, the, it, the published imperfect book is infinitely better than the perfected one that's sitting on a shelf somewhere. You know, before we got on, I was telling you about, you know, 20 years ago, I wrote a book and I forgot all about it. I was going to publish it and I never did it. And it wasn't until I was editing uh, the second mouse. I remember, Whatever happened to that manuscript? Now, uh, it's probably sitting on some floppy disk somewhere in my attic for, you know, a computer that I, I would never even be able to, you know, Download it to anything anyway. Uh, for those young people out there, floppy disks are things we used to use to store things. 
<laughs> but and, it and was, to make it more confusing, there's actually two types of floppy disks, right? There's the A drive and the B drive floppy disk. So that's right. And I, I had the little what did I forget the little uh, the little hard ones. The ones that look like the save button now on the computers. That's yeah. uh, <laughs> not now all of a sudden all the uh, all the people out there that have never seen one are going, wait, the save button is actually looks like something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just let it look like the save button. <laughs> but it's like, and I could have been very discouraged by that too. Oh, I missed an opportunity. I did. I learned from it. Yeah. I felt bad. Now I'm over it. It's just, you can't dwell on those things too. Yeah. It's uh, it's you have to release. You have to, you have to forgive yourself. You know, mistakes happen. And the thing is it could tear you apart inside. You can feel really bad about yourself that, oh, I missed this opportunity. I could, it's, uh, uh, what was it? On the waterfront with uh, Jim Cagney. I could have been somebody, but I got a one-way ticket to Palookaville and that can kind of stick with us. We feel like we're stuck in Palookaville where we're not. It's a self-imposed prison. It's, you know, we, we tie ourselves to the chair uh, because we think that we've made so many mistakes in the past. You know, I know someone who was in prison uh, he had a horrendous drug addiction uh, and did some very bad things in his life. But he owns a business now. He's clean and he's successful. Yep. He went through some horrible things. My guess is, is that even though you've made mistakes in your life, they haven't been as big as his and he's successful. Yep. Why can't you be? There's no reason why you can't go and find a success that really means something to you. No. It doesn't have an expiration date. You can do it. Find out what you want to do. Make sure that it's your idea, that you're not really being influenced by others. Build that vision and work towards it. And I'll tell you, it's not the goal that counts. It's the work that makes you feel better. It's the activity. It's moving towards it that will add that motivation and make you feel good about yourself. It's in the doing, not the end, that really makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I love the fact that you really emphasize there that, yes, we want to look at other people's stories. We want to say, hey, you know, they're successful, even despite all the things that they've had go wrong. I can be successful, too. But the key to that is not to say, oh, I can do what they did. Right. The key is to say, I can do what I want to do. Yeah. And, and and I love that distinction. And don't get discouraged by other people's, you know, what I'll call accomplishments. I mean, you'll look on your know, Facebook. They're having this fantastic vacation. You see a picture of their feet with the sand. You see the drink. Uh, what you don't see are the kids crying in the car, you know, the $5,000 credit card bill. Those people are just like you. They're having the same issues you're having. You know, they their vacation is just as enjoyable as yours. You know, it's it's all a balance. All you're seeing is that small, extremely positive snapshot that is deceptive. So don't look at it. Oh, geez, look at that. They got the little drink with the umbrella, got the pinky extended. You know, it's it it doesn't matter. You know, because they had the kids crying in the car, just like you had the kids crying in the car. You know, they had the delay on their flight 
just like you had the delay on your flight. And it costs them just as much as it costs you. It's all a balance. So don't see that little snapshot and get discouraged. Remember, it's you know, the iceberg, iceberg of success. Yeah, that you see the little part here that's uh, great, and all the uh, the burdens underneath the water. It's the same thing on social media. You know that picture of the vacation. You know the promotion, all that. People were all the same. We go through struggles. We have our successes. Revel in our success. Be proud of our work. Don't dwell on the failure, and move forward. Yeah. Love it, man. Appreciate you you sharing that and really coming today to share your story with us, Chad, and the insights that you had. If someone is at that point in their life where they're ready to make a change, they're ready to do something different, but they're hearing that little voice in their head that says, it's too late for you, you're too old. They, they're probably listening by the end of this interview and they know Chad's the guy that I need to talk to. So how do they reach out to you and, and, and do that? The best way probably is to go to my website, www.latebloomerbook.com. Uh, so you'll see there's some videos up there. Uh, you can get in touch with me via email. You'll see uh, the my Facebook page, my LinkedIn page, all of it's there. So www.latebloomerbook.com. All right. Well, thank you again for coming today, Chad. I really enjoyed our conversation today. And I know that people are going to get a lot of value out of this. And they're going to be able to look at what you did. And they're going to be able to apply it to the goals that they want to go out there and achieve. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Steve. It was great chatting with you today. Absolutely. I just want to remind everyone uh, come back and join us next week for another episode of the Unshakable Habits podcast, where we help you take your habits from unsustainable to unshakable. Thanks for listening to the Unshakable Habits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please subscribe at unshakablehabits.com slash YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. You can learn more about Unshakable Habits at unshakablehabits.com. Until next week, be unshakable, my friends. <laughs>